0: So we're continuing with our series on Oros Hachuva. And um, we are now in the fourth Perek in Os Dalit. This entire parekh was entitled by the students of Rav Kuk. HaTshuva HaPratis the HaTshuva HaKlolis HaTziboris Olamis. And really each of the pieces in this particular uh, chapter, which has a, a number of different, you know, uh, ver- various kind of ideas that are all lumped into this larger theme of my individual process or my individual relationship with with the tshuva experience is very much tied to the tshuva of the entire world. And the process of the tshuva of the entire world is very much linked to my individual process. So that on the one hand, as we've spoken a number of times, if I would merely orient myself or kind of attune the radio station of my soul to the world's cosmic tshuva that's taking place in any event, I would be kind of rushed along with the river of tshuva that's sort of happening. I'd just be carried upstream with this tshuva, which is a return back to a, a, a state of consciousness where there was really a much more profound sense of the fact that Hashem is involved in everything and that el novado kipshuto, there's nothing other than Hashem, not to the exclusion, as we've said so many times, of other deities or other gods, but rather that there is nothing else, devo- there is nothing devoid of the presence of Hashem, as the Zohar Kadr says, Atar there is no place which is devoid of Him, and when I am involved in my mundane living, or I am, you know, taking care of, of, of my children, which is not mundane, but is, is maybe not the same thing as sitting with an open sefer, or being in shul, enraptured by the, by the melodies of, of, a, of a good or something like that, Hashem is no less present in that place, and that the world is fixing itself. Just really today, uh, it was remarkable, and I, I kind of noted it in the subconscious of my mind that, uh, that it would be something that I would bring up tonight, and I might as well just bring it up right away. I was on my way into yeshiva today, and there was a street cleaner. Ah, the street clean- cleaners of Yerushalayim are the holiest. There was this street cleaner who, I don't know if it was because I was listening to the new Zusha album, or I was just in a particularly uh, expanded state of consciousness, and, I, as I was walking, there was this guy, I, honestly, I don't know if he was Jewish or not Jewish, I didn't ask, I didn't even think about it. I just saw somebody with a broom and a dustpan who, and I think the reason why I noticed it is because I saw his eye catch a piece of garbage that was on the street. In other words, he was walking and he was kind of just like glancing this way and that way, and then all of a sudden he like caught, he, he caught one, you know, he caught something that he was supposed to, and he went over with his, with his little brush and he brushed it into his dustpan, and I said, wow, and then I immediately looked all the way down. I was right by the train tracks. Uh, I take the train one stop to the old city. And, um, and I looked all the way down the train tracks and the train tracks had not a piece of garbage. It was just pure, you know, it was all clean. The streets were all clean. And I said, this man, and probably, you know, several dozens like him, you know, if not more than that, are walking around Yerushalayim, cleaning up the streets of Yerushalayim. And this is very much what Rav Kook is talking about, that each individual person's process of taking something which is imperfect, something which just by uh, the very nature of human existence, of the grime and the grit that kind of happens as we're living in entropy and things falling apart, that this person is involved in making sure that the process of tshuva is taking place. And it really caused me for a moment to have this awakening of tshuva in my heart that this man cleaning up garbage off the street is part of this vision that Rav Kook is saying, that the world is perfecting itself that all of the new ways of thinking and the advanced ways of thinking that are coming down in the teachings of the greatest tzaddikim of our generation and of previous generations are all dependent on some other person doing his small avoda or her small avodah that actually helps to bring about this individual perfection or the societal perfection that allows for the world to to, to perfect itself. And so you have this kind of two-way street. The world is doing chuva and we're kind of getting carried away with it. And on the other hand, you have these individuals who are doing these tiny acts of chuva, If chuva means recalibration or recovery of some perfection, I guess we could call chuva uh, as becoming. That's what it is. It's a return towards that perfection that reigned prior to existence. So then every single person's individual uh, module of, of tshuva that they are bringing to the world is part of this larger perfection that the world is undergoing. And so here in Os Dalid, Rav Kuk, uh, we're, we're gonna read it quickly and then we'll try to maybe make some, some nuanced insights into what Rav Kuk is saying. I don't know, even though it's only two lines here on my, on my screen um, in, the, in the piece in Rav Kuk, it's maybe three, four lines, but um, in the actual Ores of Tshuva the but here these two lines are remarkable in their depth and in their, in their profundity and in their ability to awaken us to a, maybe a, a totally different way of looking at the world. We're definitely going to have to rely on some outside source material in order to help us kind of grasp what Rav Kook is saying, but let's just begin by reading the words of the tzaddik. So Rav says, I hope everyone can hear me well over the Zoom, Hateva HaOlami, the prati, the nature of the world, the natural progression of the world, the kol yitzir Prati, and every specific creation. In other words, from the largest scale to the most minute scale, Ha historia enoshit, the history of all humankind, the Khol and the story of each individual person's life. The Khol Ishihidi, and their individual actions they need to be beskira They need to be looked at. They need to be understood, or um, somehow create an impression on us with a skira achat, with a singular look, with a singular mabat, with one one clear look. And when we're able to look at it with this one clear, distinct look, and we see it all as one whole enterprise. Kitochen, shonim, such a beautiful language, like different chapters of a single table of contents, if you will. Kitochen like a single tohen, which is like a single kind of like a idea, or in this sense, a single table of contents that incorporates all these different chapters of a story arc that is the narrative of the story of our individual lives and the story of the historia hanoshit of the entire history of humanity. When we're able to look at that as a single project, not as my life and your life and the, you know, the development of the modern state of Israel and the ancient state of Israel and the development of this worldview of uh, a certain way of looking at finances and the development of cryptocurrency versus, uh, you know, different monetary arrangements that were at a previous History, part of history, but when we see all of the developments, whether it's in the financial sector, whether it's in the emotional, psychological sphere of, of living, whether it's in the spiritual way of thinking about things, all of those different parts in their different spheres are all part of a tochin echad. And when we see it, beskira skira achat, when we look at it with a single mabat, with one clear glance, then that. Daya, that knowledge, that consciousness, which we're trying to cultivate, which is going to bring a person to a state of tshuva, is mamheres It comes quickly. To the degree that we're capable of seeing history, not as individual moments or eras, and that we break it up into manageable pieces of time, but to the degree that we kind of call time's bluff, or we call history's bluff, and we're able to then look at the entire history or the entire folding of not just a single human life, but all of the history of the, human, of, 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 the human be, of the human beings, and really before there were human beings from the six days of creation, if we look at that all as a single moment, then we're able to come to that place of the tshuva, which is mamhera slavo, the das, that, that consciousness which is necessary in order to bring us to a state of tshuva. Now that definitely rings slightly esoteric, Okay, what exactly does Rav Kook want from us? What is he asking us to look at? What does it mean to look at the whole world, beskira achat, to look at it with a single glance or in, and in one shot, to see all of it as kind of part of this one project in the same way that a person who's perhaps um, read a book, and I'll go back to that mashal that I just used a moment ago, someone who's read a book and wants to review, they can simply open the table of contents and kind of with one glance on a single piece of paper, they can look at the bullet points and they're able to see really, and be reminded of the entire project and the story arc of this particular book, in the same way, to the degree that a person kind of tries and, and, and davens towards and orients themselves towards trying to see the entire world, not just their individual story, but the story of their entire community and the story of their entire nation and the story of the entire cosmos as one project, then that Stream of tshuva, which is happening, which we spoke about, you know, a few shirim ago, in the I think it was in Os Aleph, before we got into the 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 the, the tshuva prati, that that general tshuva which the world is undergoing becomes much more available. We're able to somehow, in other words, it seems to me that Rav Kook is revealing to us in this in this small tiny little uh, snippet that Rav Kook is revealing to us what is the secret of. How do we begin to dip our toes into this river that's flowing upstream back in the direction of the divine? And the answer seems to be that we need to kind of, instead of dividing all the time reality into various different pieces. And Rav Kook, you know, famously, um, when somebody asked Rav Kook whether he would would consider becoming a, a Rebbe of a Hasidic sect, because Rav Rav Kook was, you know, many different things, and he certainly had an affinity towards Hasidus, and whether he would, you know, take on a certain role as like a Rebbe of a, and Rav Kook said, the last thing in the world we need is another sect, is another, you know, piece of something. What I want is, it wasn't, you know, by accident, Rav Kook referred to his yeshiva as the yeshiva merkazi haolami. It's like the central yeshiva of the world, and it wasn't a pretentious statement about this is the most important yeshiva in the world, but it was really trying to create a a worldview that Rav Kook was trying to say that there is or, there is orot, hakodesh in everything. There is or in every single uh, piece of the Jewish people and to the degree that we break down the distinctions and we try to see it as a single project whether we're talking about on the sociological level of different types of Jews or whether we're looking at eras of history as Rav is talking about here, when we Stop breaking things down, and we start putting them back together. Then that das, that consciousness, which quickly brings us to a state of tshuva, becomes more available to us. And so we're going to try to explain exactly what that means. Because again, like I said, it's rather esoteric. But it seems to me that Rav Kook here is opening a gate, is opening a shahr, is opening a door for us to be able to enter into that stream, which is going to bring that the world is kind of undergoing in any event, and gives us as individuals the ability to join that process to some degree. Now, the first thing that jumped out, yeah, David, jump in. Do do
1: you think from your studying of Rav Kook and and all the other Torah that you've learned, do you think that Hashem has set a specific pace at which the world can do the tuba that is naturally organically happening? In other words, it seems like the, the fixing up of everything, it can't go quicker than it's allowed to go like in the background of our individual lives as a collective planet it's happening you can see if you compare now to a hundred years ago even though there's crazy things going on you just feel if you've got your eyes open that things are changing I know we've mentioned that before but you think that pace is limited because it just couldn't happen in one hit and why couldn't it happen in one hit
0: it's a good question. The, the, what comes to mind is the famous uh, Talmudic pointing to uh, two psukim, two verses which seem to contradict each other, uh, wherein the final redemption, which I guess is synonymous on some level with, with this process of tshuva unfolding, um, is the contrast of the words that Hashem says He's going to bring the redemption, beito. Two words in, in in a verse. Beito at its time, achishena. I will, I'll pull it forward, right. And Chazal see in that that there are really two tracks, and it's sort of up to us on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's kind of happening simultaneously. So beito means in its pre-appointed time. There is an end time where, apparently, there will not be any other force. And as the Gemara says. If Am Yisrael doesn't do tshuva, Hashem will bring them to a state of chuva through, you know, he's a very good chess player. And if we try to move the pieces in one direction, he's going to bring us to tshuva. Whether it happens more comfortably or less comfortably, whether it comes through, you know, with our, with our backs up straight or whether it comes to, you know, to, to being... If we think about just the geographical chuva of returning to Eretz Yisrael, which is a very complicated... Uh, sugya, but if we just think about the ability, as the Vilna Goan and other tzaddikim said, that and that was part of the project of the Gra and the Balshemtov and other tzaddikim, way before 1948, that they said we have to go back to Eretz Yisrael because they understood, based on certain passages in Pnimiyas Torah, that Am Yisrael's return to Eretz Yisrael predates the, the in other words, the, the physical return predates the spiritual return. And for for the Gra and for for the Balshemtov. In the, and, and that's why I think it's a, we could draw on that muscle, you know, in the same way that there are there are maybe certain Jews or certain times in history where Jewish people have been able to, and, and perhaps more more clearly in our time than any other time, where everybody has the opportunity to go with their backs upright, to with their belongings they don't have to choose three or four things and you know run for their lives, but a person has the ability to join in you know Ba'achishana, at a time when. You know, the gates are open and they're able to come and we feel it happening. And on the other hand, it's a guarantee that the Jewish people are going to end up in Eretz Yisrael. You know, and how that has to happen or how exactly that, that happens, you know, I, I'm not a person who speaks about politics and I'm not a person who gets into these things. That's not really my expertise. But, so I won't, so, I won't, so I'm not going to. But the the, the bottom line is that there are, two, there are two paths. There's a path of tshuva, physical and spiritual, that is kind of more upright and is more misudar, and a person can do it slowly and, and patiently and then there's a tshuva which is kind of mibul bal, which is like all over the place and you're running to grab, you know, a few things to stuff in your suitcase so you could run for your lives before the Cossacks come, you know, and so there's that, that exists on the spiritual plane as well there's a type of tshuva that is slow and steady and and kind of methodical and with guidance from people and you slowly make, and there's another type of tshuva where you hit rock bottom and if you don't get your act together quickly you know, you're, you're, you're in big trouble you know, you're in big trouble with your with with your family. You're in big trouble with your society. You're in big trouble with Hashem. It's you just you're in tru- big trouble with yourself. You feel that uh, there's no room here for for any hesitation. Right. right. It so, reminds
1: okay. me of like B'nai Israel Yisrael, just like leaving Yisrael, uh, leaving the time recently, and how like a debate about the timeline, and like really they could have left earlier,
0: uh, but they weren't like to it That's like, right so And in Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim It's almost the opposite like, Right There is a date That Hashem has For the Galos But it's up to us like, we're, It's not like completely You know Like Hashem has a time Where it's going to happen No matter what But like We could potentially Make it earlier Just right. like They could have done that That's right. Yeah there are these two right. tracks In Mitzrayim It's actually interesting Because in Mitzrayim It was somewhat uh, Counterintuitively the opposite We had to leave Before the proper time Because it just w- Would have been impossible We would have Kind of descended Into a place Which would have been irreparable so, okay, so the, so the first thing that kind of jumped out at me at this, this very short and uh, remarkable piece of, of Torah that Rav Cook is sharing with us here is that Rav Cook says that we need to learn to look at things beskira achas. Now, I don't know if that, that phrase is familiar to any of you, if it jumps out at you, but the, the phrase skira achas is actually based on a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah on Daf Yerchas. Okay, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah, if I didn't somehow lose it here, because my screen jumped, the concept of Skira Achas. Type it back in. Skira Achat. There you go. Okay, so there is a rather famous Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that says that, we actually reference this in the davening of Rosh Hashanah, Hashanah overum the fun of maron. On Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish people all pass in front of Hashem, like bnei maron. And there is a bit of debate about exactly what bnei maron are. Um, B'nai Maron could mean several different things. In one interpretation of what B'nai Maron means, it's, re- it's a reference to the chayalim of David Amalek's army. The chayalot shall base David. And Rabbah of Abraham said the kulan niskern beskira achas. Okay, that language that Rav Cook is borrowing here, because obviously Rav Cook had kolator kul at his fingertips. And he's not just, you know, using uh, you know these words lightly, but if he refers to looking at all of reality besgira achat, then it's not cannot be coincidental that he's referring here to the experience that happens during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur during the Yom Tovim of the days of all the Yom Tovim, when Hashem is judging the Jewish people, also in this way. In other words, when Hashem Himself is bringing the Jewish people to tshuva, and when there is this process of the aseret Chuva that begins with Rosh Hashanah and culminates with the Aser simai tshuva, so that is referred to as the Jewish people passing in front of Hashem, or really the whole world passing in front of Hashem, kibne maron, which means coming one at a time in front of Hashem, and yet, like the chayalos of Beis David, they would walk in a certain pattern of walking in a single file line, very organized, as you see, you know, uh, people walking together in a in an army in very in very straight, uh, uniform kind of movements, and yet, the way that they would do this was so powerful that you'd be able to see the entire army in a single glance. They had this mechanism for walking in such a way where they were walking in single file. You'd be able to see the entire expanse of the army, or not exactly single file, but they were walking in some sort of uniform um, in uniform march where you'd be able to see the individuals and the entire army at the same time. And so it has to be that if Rav Cook here is referring to the notion of tshuva being us as well, just the afata, just like the Rabonashtol and Rosh Hashanah in this process of the Asarasime Chuva looks at us Besgira achas, then it is not merely that Hashem it's not just the oh scary Hashem is sitting on his throne of judgment and looking at us Beshira Ahas. He's looking at the entire humanity as individuals and also at the same time. But Hashem Kedarko, is always teaching us the path of Chuva. Hashem is teaching us the secret of tshuva. It's not some scary idea that Hashem is looking at each individual and also at the total project, deciding whether to press Control Alt Delete and you know start the whole thing over again and to kind of just erase everything. Hashem is not going to do Select All Delete. He's it's not skira achas like that. But Hashem is teaching us that the secret of tshuva—that's what Cook is telling us here—the secret of tshuva itself is to be able to see everything simultaneously as a prati piece of a puzzle but at the same time being able to see this entire project unfolding in a single instant. Now here for Rav Kook, the piece seems to be focusing mostly on a, on a, on a time map. In other words, Rav Kook is saying, I want you to see the Teva olami, the Kol Yitzir Prati, the entire history of mankind and each individual's s- story. Kol Ish yechidi, Uma U our individual story, the sipuri maisios of our individual lives and the story of the entire world history are somehow coming together b'vas achas, beskira achas. And so we're going to talk about that more in a moment, but obviously it must also be if, if Rosh Hashanah is the time when we walk in front of Hashem kibede Maron, beskira achas, that there's this simultaneous Individuality and also seeing that individuality within Biskirachas at a single glance, seeing the entire project, the entire table of contents, not just for the chapters but for the story arc that's being created. Then Yom Kippur, I think, is the is the final um, piece of the puzzle. Where on Yom Kippur, which is called again, not uh, coincidentally, is referred to as Achas Bashana. it's called the one day of the year Achas Bashana, and it's really a time when time and space seem to collapse in on themselves which is really the secret of tshuva because if tshuva is all about being able to change the past through what i'm feeling right now and my orientation towards the future then really tshuva is this mysterious type of time travel which a person is capable of in the present affecting the past that already happened so as to reorient themselves and how they're headed towards the the future and Rum kippur really has this remarkable quality to it. If it's the fact that Chazal tell us in the Gemara in Yuma and in several other Mesechtas, that if you try to calculate exactly how the space of the Kodesh Kedashim works out, it doesn't actually make any sense that the Aron together with the Badim should fit in the space of the Kodesh Kedashim. And so the secret of a miut that's machzik es a single space, a single place which is able to hold so much, or whether it's the, the bowing of the Jewish people as we, re, as we read again in the Gemara, that the Gemara says that when the Jewish people on Yom Kippur would hear the Shem HaMaforash, when they would hear the name of God on this Echad B'Shonah, on this one day of the year where time and space seemed to collapse, everybody would bow down. And even though it was totally packed when everybody was standing upright, when they would bow down, all of a sudden there was room for everybody. Because time and space seem to all collapse in the Beis HaMikdash in this moment of the revelation of the Shem HaMaforosh, of the name of God. And in that moment, when everybody falls to the floor, that space which wasn't there, when they were all upright, all of a sudden when they go down on the floor, there was, everyone was squished together. And it stands to reason that if we would now all go horizontally, then there would be you know uh, no room for everybody to be able to do that. And yet... The Gemara describes that one of the miracles in the Beis Hamikdash is that when they would be aveya, when they would when they would bow down, space would collapse on itself, just like the makom of the Kodesh Hakadoshim, which was a mitzah hamachzikas a marubah. Now, what is the secret of? And with this, this will be the last little piece before we jump into another text that will help us to understand what Rav Kook is saying and help us to bring us to a place of understanding. How it is that we can join the cosmic movement towards towards tshuva as individuals and kind of bridge the gap between those two things, and to see the world and to see all of history as a skira achas, and to uncover the secret of historia enoshis. Okay, so it's not a it's not a something that I'm I'm pointing out here. This has been pointed out by many many uh, you know students of Rav Cook and admirers of Rav Cook's writing. The word historia in in modern Hebrew and even in Rav Cook's time was properly spelled with the letter tes. Okay, it was spelled not with the letter taf, but it was spelled with the letter tes. And Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook used to point out, and many other tzaddikim used to point out, that Rav Cook specifically spelled it with the letter taf, so that the word historia would become a composite of the word hester kah, hester kah, a hiding of of the divine. That history, as many people have also punned in English, is his capital H. Story, right? History is Hashem's story. It's the unfolding of Hashem's story. And in, what Rav Cook offers us that maybe that pun in English does not offer us is that history itself is Hester Kah. It is the hidden, and the way that we divide history into eras and into different um, kind of movements and, and themes of, of kind of philosophy and, and all of these different divisions that we make in various parts of history is all Hester Kah. It's all one Indian of Hashem unfolding some some idea. And so it's, I say this in the context of Yom Kippur, that it's specifically, as I mentioned a moment ago, when we mention the shame HaMephorosh, when the shame HaMephorosh is, that is when time and space seem to collapse in this mysterious type of way. And it's because, as the Vilna Gaon pointed out, and as the Sefer Yireim pointed out earlier in the time of the Rishonim already, that the concept of the Shem HaMaforosh, like we find in the Shulchan and Simen Hay, the Shem HaMaforosh, the Shem Yudkei and Vovke, as, as we've, we've spoken about, I believe, in the past, is a composite of the words Hayahoveh and yihyeh If you take the words hayahove and yihyeh which is one of the things a person is supposed to think when they say the Shem HaMaforosh, certainly during Kriya Shema, at the time of Echad, when we're referencing the Achtos Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, which is expressed in this skira achas, on the achas v'shanah of Yom Kippur, when we reference the shema meforash, especially in the context of shema, where we're, where we're literally saying HaShem Elokeinu HaShem Echa, those two times when we say HaShem's name, so the Vilnagon Paskind in Simon Hayin and Shalchan that a person must think that HaShem is Adonai Kol, he is the master of the universe, who is Hayah hovevi who transcends the possibility of there being any division between past, present, and future. If you take the word and you superimpose them on each other so again you have the word which is a hey or, or let's start with haya. haya is hey and a yud and a hey if you write the word hove over haya the vav covers the hey and the hey equally so there's no, not going to be any change there and the vav is going to augment the yud and turn it into a vav as well if you then superimpose the word yihyeh on top of that, the yud will get lost in the vav of hovah that's already there. And there will be now a yud, and it'll become a yud, and a He, and a vav, and a hay, And that's Hashem's name, proper name, the shame of mafarosh, which is the shame, havaya barachu, the Shem yud Ke-Vavke. Now, when we say the shame of mafarosh on Yom Kippur, on Achas B'Shonah, we suddenly have access to the skira achas, to this one moment, and there is a consciousness, there is a das. There is a chachmah which is being given to us. We are accessing what's referred to in the writings of, of, of the Baal Tanya and in the writings of the 7th Lubavitcher Rebbe and really all the Rebbes in between. As we're, we're referencing, this Achas B'Shona means that we're accessing the place of chachma de Chochmah, the, the highest level of wisdom which is also referred to, and again, don't, don't be thrown off by the jargon here, which is referred to as the Yechida Shabanefish. It's the, it's the Yechida of the Neshama. It's the highest of the five parts of the soul, which means that we're accessing some part where there is a breakdown between, which is why we fall on our faces also, there is a breakdown between the individual known as Davidal, and the individuals known as the people who are on the screen, and we just all become we become this one singularity part of the neshama, which is then able to see how everything is moving towards the state of perfection that the world is undergoing. So in order to kind of understand what is happening and to try to bring this down to some level, which... Um, which we'll be able to kind of swallow in the last few minutes that we have here together. Let me see what time it is. Okay, it's 9.20. So in the last 10 minutes, 11 minutes or so, I would like to share with you a piece, if I can get my screen to cooperate, from Rabbi Nachman. Okay, and this is found in lekut e The Sefer lekut is divided into two different sections. There is uh, the first part, which has some somewhere between 200 and 300 teachings, uh, a little bit more than, than it's, it's not clear exactly where the Sefer ends, but uh, somewhere in the 260 range of, of teachings. And then you have a smaller uh, second half, an addendum, if you will, to the Sefer, which is a second volume called L'Kutimaran And in Simin, or Torah, Samach Aleph, Rabbi Nachman shares with us the, the, fo- the following mind-altering teaching. Now, it's important to always remember whenever we're studying Rav Cook and Rabbi Nachman together, that Rav Kook considered himself to be some hemshich of Rabbi Nachman's project, and there are no other tzaddikim whom Rav Kook spoke of in this way. That Rav Kook said, "Ich bin in the from Rabbi Nachman. I am Rabbi Nachman. I am. I carry Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman's in the Shama." He did not say that about any other tzaddikim. And so it's obviously always helpful if we want to understand where Rav Cook is coming from to recognize that Rav Cook was very proficient in the writings of Lakut Emaran, and um, and so let's let's dive into a piece from Rabbi Nachman. I like to call this piece it's, it's uh, Torah Samachal. I always like to call this Rabbi Nachman's theory of relativity. Okay, Einstein had his theory of relativity. This is Rabbi Nachman's special theory of relativity, and I believe that you cannot possibly understand what Rav Cook means by. The Skira achas of Tshuva, seeing the entire history at a glance without learning this piece in Lakuti Mahara. So we will try to move through it um, as as speedily as we can. Hashem is Hashem, as we just described, the proper name, Hashem Shudke Vavke, is Hashem is beyond time. He is not constrained by time. He created time. He is Hayahoviya bivas achas. It's not that he was in the past, he is now, and he will be in the future, but rather past, present, and future all collapse into a single entity in the face of God who created this concept of time. Hashem is Lamala mehazman. Kamova, which is brought already in many svarim. inyan hu be'emes nifla od. This is something that the human being finds very difficult to grasp. It's something which is both wondrous to the point of being uh, indescribable. Nifla comes from a Russian of Pela, of being indescribable, something which is uh, paradoxical and ineffable, v'ne'elam, and totally hidden, the EF sharlahavinzos in zos enoshi. Good luck with the piece that we're about to read. And this is not something that can be grasped by seichel enoshi, by the human mind. So what is there to talk about then? Well, there is what to talk about, which is the theory of relativity of time that a human being can can grasp. Achda she'ikra azman hu rak she'ein mevinim. Time as opposed to space and time, which are two coordinates in Einstein's special theory of relativity, in Rabbi Nachman's theory of relativity, time and das, time and mm, development of thought, of chach, and das, of human consciousness and the ability to, to think properly, are what create the relativity of time. Dahainu, meaning to say, because our intellect is so small, as can be evidenced by anyone who has ever um, experienced a Yom Kippur service at the age of 37, 47, 57, 67 years old, however old anybody listening to this might be, versus when they were seven years old and it seems to just drag on forever. Now that's not only because relative to your life, when you're seven years old, a single day is a larger portion of the fraction of what it means to be alive from you know, that time of just seven years versus when you're, when you're you know, now 70, 80 you know, years old and now this is just a blip on the screen relative to the entire span of your lifetime. But it's also a function of the fact that you've now developed cognitively and the fact that you're now cognitively more advanced means that you are now experiencing time in a dilated or truncated sort of sort of way. So that bisman niktan al biyoser. That as a person, to put this in a kind of uh, logical form, Rabbi Nachman would say that to the degree that a person expands their consciousness or their cognitive abilities, time seems to speed up or to move faster. For Einstein, the faster that a person moves through space, st- time begins to slow down. For Rabbi Nachman, the more that a person develops their intellect, the more quickly time speeds up. And the s- sh- the smaller a person's intellect is, like for a child, time seems to move very slowly, and things kind of, you know, fly by more as you get older. So now Rabbi Nachman brings an example: if the uh, if the uh, Yom Kippur davening example didn't resonate with you, which it, I, I assume that it did, so Rebbe brings a, a further example, and that's as follows. Kibachalom, b'chalom, Rabbi Nachman says, when you're in a dream, when a person's in a dream state, so then you're in a very low state of consciousness, right? You are, you are actually activa- you're activating your subconscious. Your consciousness is in a state of sleep, and your subconscious is activated, which is a low level of Seichel. At that point, your imagination is, ride, is overriding things, and that's considered relative to the hierarchy of how we, look at, um, how we look at intellect. So your imagination is considered slightly lower or considerably lower than your intellectual capacity in a wakeful state. Azai, Avor kol shivim has it ever happened to you, says Rabbi Nachman, that you fell asleep on a Shabbos afternoon and found yourself having this very intricate dream that seems to have all different parts to it and it seems to, a long time seems to be elapsing and then you wake up from your dream and all of a sudden you look at your watch and only 15 minutes have passed. As you've seen, as anyone has ever seen, if they've ever had a dream like this, kama etas me'od that uh, uh, in a very short amount of time, in the span of 10-15 minutes, while you're ha- while you're sleeping, so you're able to traverse tremendous swaths of time. This was a very very short amount of time that was experienced through time dilation as a as a, as a large amount of time. And the reason why you experience that very funny paradigm in the wakeful moment is that you're suddenly shifting from this, you're experiencing this time relativity very quickly. So that as soon as you wake up, you are contrasting the experience of a low resolution and a low grade seichel experiencing time Versus now in your wakeful state, when you return to a state of consciousness, of being awake, as the seichel returns too quickly. It all appears to him to be just a quick 15-minute snap of the finger. And even though it appeared to be 70 years in your dream, when you wake up, it just was a very short amount of time. Now, in the interest of kind of... I, I, I'm sad to, to skip through, but because we started a little late, I'm going to have to skip a little bit of the text. Rabbi Nachman says the same thing is true relative to, to um, a person of very high intellect. Right? A person who's undergoing a state of, of suffering with a low intellect, things t- seem to drag out very, very long. So it's remarkable that David HaMelech in Tehillim describes the exile... Right? Exile is a low-grade, a low-resolution state of consciousness of the Jewish people's das, of being able to, if you, if you could picture, you could imagine what the Jewish people might have been able to experience at a time when the Beis HaMikdash was functioning and they were able to see the Hashkach Pratis of Hashem's presence everywhere. So then the consciousness of the Jewish people, it doesn't just mean being able to add up, you know, or do, like, uh, difficult uh, multiplication problems. That's not what we mean by intellect. By intellect, we mean das a high level of consciousness to be able to cut through reality and to see things for what they truly are, to be able to see the world with the Or haganoz, with the hidden light of, of reality, which is to see things as they are supposed to be seen. So in exile, the Jewish people are in a state of sleepfulness. And so it's not coincidental that when the Jewish people return from exile, the language that we use, and hopefully this will change our understanding of Shir HaMalos from now going on, that when we say that when we're Shavim lezion, when we return to Tzion, Hayinu Kicholmim, it was like we were dreaming. The 70 years of exile, it's not, it's not uh, coincidental that Rabbi Nachun is using this concept of 70, of 70 years here, that the 70 years of the exiled state of consciousness that the Jewish people experienced during the 70 years of exile, the first on Mikdash, when we return back for the second on Mikdash, hayinu kicholmen, when Hashem returns us to Zion, when He returns us to a state of being focused, of being being able to see things beskira achas when consciousness all of a sudden leaps forward in this remarkable way that we're able to see that hayah hove are all part of one gigantic project. Then, in that moment, we awake from the dream of exile, from that exiled state of consciousness. Whether we're talking about a national exile or our personal exile, when we feel distant from the people that we're trying to be and who we're capable of being, when we awake in our state of tshuva and we return to a state of consciousness of spiritual consciousness, then in that moment, the 70 years of exile that we, un- that we underwent, all of a sudden fall into a very quick line, that we're able to see how all of our personal narrative, which started maybe over here, and then went south very quickly, and we had all these ups and downs, and all of these different parts of our story, which maybe some of them were more, uh, were more, you know, hopeful that we'll be able to leave out of the autobiography. And that moment when I lost my temper and I, and I did this thing, which was you know, I, I don't want to see myself like that. I don't want to look at myself like that. So then we can come back in Shuva and we wake up from the nightmare of sin, the nightmare of transgression, the nightmare of exile of the soul. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that relative to what I experienced in exile, this was but a moment of time. All of human history, the entire development of, the human, of human history, when we completely develop ourselves, will retroactively be seen to have been this one project which we could see the skira achas. And in a moment of tshuva, whether it's a Rosh Hashanah and a Yom Kippur, where we are Yodeya Trua, where we come to that place of das of Yodea Trua, where we're coming to the place of Skira Achas, where we come to the Ahas Bashana, where the Shema Mepurash, where HaYehovah V'iyeh, and time and space sort of collapse altogether, or whether we're tapping into that on a regular Tuesday in the middle of Shvat or uh, soon-to-be Adar. So when we tap into that Tshuva consciousness, we're borrowing from the place, which is Lamalam in Hazman. Tshuva, which was created before time and was created before space, allows us to enter into that Wakeful state, out of the dream state of exile of, of, of spiritual consciousness. And then all of a sudden, Hayinu Hayinu Kicholmen. The whole thing is, was, was but a dream. And so for the Rabbona Shalom himself, Hashem, who is the ultimate consciousness, who is the ultimate Seichel Hashem, who lays makshava tfisade klaal in the language of the Zohar, that no mind can apprehend the divine at all. So for us who are able to who are able to slowly progress in our way through Torah study and through attachment to Tzadikim and through speaking to friends in a way of tshuva and having real diburim shel emes, of trying to come to a place of tshuva, we start to develop our cognition, we develop our sensitivity towards spiritual towards this spiritual intellect that we're, that we're forming, and we become more potently aware of Hashem's presence, not only in the moments of frontal avodos Hashem, but we start to see and hear little whispers of Hashem's presence in every facet of our lives, then all of a sudden that is called an increase in das. And when there's an increase in das, as Rabbi Nachman just taught us, then time seems to collapse in on itself. World history seems to collapse in on itself. Space seems to collapse in on itself, and then we come back to the words of Rav Kook, and we see that Historia Hanoshis Vikola Ishiyachiru Masav, my entire personal narrative, and the entire narrative of the Jewish people, and the entire narrative of all of humanity, we begin to see it all as a single project. And I don't then start to judge myself disfavorably and to look at all of my shortcomings in a way where they become uh, self destructive where any of my behaviors or any of my maladaptive thinking becomes some mechanism through which I punish myself by further falling into the abyss. But when I see myself as part of this grand project, and I see that the story of David o weinberg is part of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, and is part of the story of Rabbi Akiva Eger, and is part of the story of the Baal Shem Tov and the Grah, and is part of each of your individual stories, when we start to see that as part of the this larger project of the world, which is moving towards a wakeful state, at the end of a of a of a of a dream or perhaps a nightmare of hayinu So then, those prokim shonim, those different chapters, like Rabbi, like like uh, Rav Kook says, become tochi echad. They become a singular entity, a single project. The az mamheres ha'ora shel Then there's a quickening of the light of Das, of that Das that Rebbe Nachman just described, which is tshuva haba, which awakens us and it becomes a cycle, an upward spiral of moving towards a, a further consciousness of, oh, I understand that Hashem is more part of my life than I thought it was before. And that allows me to have this spiraling upwards and to enter into this stream of Tshuva, which we're all trying to enter into. So we're gonna pause here. Mirza Hashem next week will continue with Oshei, if we can. I'm going to try, and I think that I may be able to pull it off, I'm not positive how we're going to do it. I'm going to be in America next week. But since we're doing Zoom anyway for the next two weeks, I'm going to try to see if we can continue so that we can get some momentum. Emir Sashem, after that week, I'll be back um, and we'll be able to resume live Shiurim uh, together. But Emir Sashem, I will update you and I'll let you know if we're going to have next week. And sorry if we went a little bit over, but we also started a little bit late. And we'll see everybody next week, Emir Sashem. Any final thoughts from anybody? Thank you. Thank you is good too. I was
1: just—I got—I got cut off because we we have a power cut on the street so I missed about three minutes. But
0: um, you know, when you think about our—there's uh, a good friend of mine who who uploads it to uh, to the internet, so you could hear the recordings. <laughs> okay, good.
1: Um, you know, this idea <laughs> that Hashem lives outside of exists outside of time and space. When you think about when you think about our relationship to time we also do we have no we have no grasp and it sort of messes with your head when you try and grasp it we don't live in the past present or the future we're exactly the same now i, I i'm not i'm not i'm not saying for one moment that we are god but but if we're but selling you know how when you're in your, when you're more younger immature you're like you're not even conscious of this idea that that, that time has a past present and future as you get older you realise, oh my gosh, this is um this is um, I'm 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 way not in control of any of this. And that's a that's a that's a very powerful, impactful acceptance. Yeah because then you can you see yourself as part of this ocean of history, like <laughs> Rav Cook said. And you're and you're not you're not you're not before, you're not in it, and you're not coming. You're all of it.
0: Yeah. Um Rav R-, R-, R. A. Kaplan, who just had a yurt site not that long ago. Um, pointed out in one of his Svarim that the word MS, which is Chos Moshe Baruch and the, the feature of MS, which is unlike anything else, is number one, that it is impossible to, There's only. It's Achas also, as well. MS is singular, as Rabbi Nachman writes elsewhere in the Mayran. Right, What he means by that is 2 plus 2 only equals one thing. But it doesn't equal infinite number of things. It doesn't equal 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. It doesn't equal a million different things. Right? It only equals one thing. MS, the singularity of MS, the, the unique nature of MS being singular, being one thing, also relates to MS being, having longevity. The, the Gemara says in Mesach is kushta koi. Kushta koi means MS lasts. MS is something which lasts forever. And so Ravari Kaplan pointed out that the word MS, uh, in a way that only someone like Ravari Kaplan would, that MS is a composite of the word on the first hand, you have the Aleph and the Mem which is mother, which means the source of where a person's life begins. And in the other half of the word, you have mem tof, which is death, which is the end of the secession of life. And the word ms is a composite of aim and mace, the beginning and the end, the book ends. And he says that the mem in the middle is the present. Okay, aleph is the first letter of the aleph beyes. Tuf is the last letter of the aleph base. Mem is that central point, the place of the, the, the present. And in the place of the present, which is the sphere of action, it's the place where a person actually has at least, as you pointed out, we really are in this ocean of time and have no control, but the Mem in the middle is the place where we have the illusion of time, where we have the illusion of control. And it's actually in that playing field of the place of Mem, where, as Rav Salvechik spoke so beautifully, and I'm glad you brought this up because I would have forgotten to say this, and it's such a salient point in Rav Cook's language, Ketochin echad balprakim shonim. Okay, it's like a single table of contents with different chapters in it, a single project with different chapters. Rav Salavechik described that the whole inion of Chuva is that in my present, I can, just like in a novel, right, what happens in chapter 3, um, you know, may be completely augmented when I'm reading chapter 6, right? And the meaning of what chapter 3 was actually could mean something totally different when I get to chapter 6, and it changes the actual meaning so that it then moves the this, I kept using throughout the show this concept of a story arc, but moving in the direction, what's going to happen in chapter 7 is actually decided in part by chapter 6. But not only that, it also reframes and reorients what we thought chapter 3 was really saying. And so this means that wherever I am in the present, on this t- at this time, on this date in history, I am simultaneously ac- uh, accessing past, present, and future in one moment. Because in the moment of the present... The actions that I'm doing in this exact moment and the thoughts and the speech and the actions that I'm doing bear uh, a new meaning. They, They give birth to a new meaning of what happened 20 minutes before or 20 years before and they also orient me towards what's going to be happening 20 minutes from now and 20 years from now. And so the present contains the secret of past, present, and future all in the same time, and that's a function I would say not of our tzelam el kim. To just maybe you know correct slightly, it's not a function of Tselem el kim. It's a function of the fact that we, we bear a chelak elokam imal. Human being is created with tzelam el kim, but a, a Jewish person who is, has the secret of tshuva has the ability to have this chelak. We have a spark of Hashem Himself. The neshama itself, and every human being has this in potential, has the spark of Hashem, which it which transcends past, present, and future, and therefore transcends time itself. And so that moment of the present has the ability to transform the past and to orient the future in such a way that the present contains really all three remarkably.